Roger Malvin's Burial from Mosses from an Old Man's and Other Stories by Nathaniel Hawthorne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Bob Newfeld. One of the few incidents of Indian warfare naturally susceptible of the moonlight of romance was that expedition undertaken for the defence of the frontiers in the year 1725, which resulted in the well-remembered Lovell's fight. Imagination, by casting certain circumstances judicially into the shade, may see much to admire in the heroism of a little band who gave battle to twice their number in the heart of the enemy's country. The open bravery displayed by both parties was in accordance with civilized ideas of valor, and chivalry itself might not blush to record the deeds of one or two individuals. The battle, though so fatal to those who fought, was not unfortunate in its consequences to the country, for it broke the strength of a tribe, and conduced to the peace which subsisted during several ensuing years. History and tradition are unusually minute in their memorials of their affair, and the captain of a scouting party of frontier men has acquired as actual a military renown as many a victorious leader of thousands. Some of the incidents contained in the following pages will be recognized, notwithstanding the substitution of fictitious names, by such as have heard from old men's lips the fate of the few combatants who were in a condition to retreat after Lowell's fight. The early sunbeams hovered cheerfully upon the treetops, beneath which two weary and wounded men had stretched their limbs the night before. Their bed of withered oak leaves was strewn upon this small level space, at the foot of a rock situated near the summit of one of the gentle swells by which the face of the country is there diversified. The mass of granite, rearing its smooth flat surface fifteen or twenty feet above their heads, was not unlike a gigantic gravestone, upon which the veins seemed to form an inscription in forgotten characters. On a tract of several acres around this rock, oaks and other hardwood trees had supplied the place of the pines, which were the usual growth of the land, and a young and vigorous sapling stood close beside the travellers. The severe wound of the elder man had probably deprived him of sleep, for so soon as the first ray of sunshine rested on the top of the highest tree, he reared himself painfully from his recumbent posture and sat erect. The deep lines of his countenance and the scattered gray of his hair marked him as past the middle age. But his muscular frame would, but for the effect of his wound, have been as capable of sustaining fatigue as in the early vigor of life. Languor and exhaustion now sat upon his haggard features, and the despairing glance which he sent forward through the depths of the forest proved his own conviction that his pilgrimage was at an end. He next turned his eyes to the companion who reclined by his side. The youth, for he had scarcely attained the years of manhood, lay with his head upon his arm, in the embrace of an unquiet sleep, which a thrill of pain from the wounds seemed each moment on the point of breaking. His right hand grasped a musket and to judge from the violent action of his features, 
his slumbers were bringing back a vision of the conflict of which he was one of the few survivors a shout deep and loud in his dreaming fancy found its way in an imperfect murmur to his lips and starting even at the slight sound of his own voice he suddenly awoke the first act of reviving recollection was to make anxious inquiries respecting the condition of his wounded fellow-traveller the latter shook his head reuben my boy said he this rock beneath which we all sit will serve for an old hunter's gravestone there is many and many a long mile of howling wilderness before us yet nor would it avail me anything if the smoke of my own chimney were but on the other side of that swell of land the indian bullet was deadlier than i thought you are weary with our three days travel replied the youth and a little longer rest will recruit you sit you here while i search the woods for the herbs and roots that must be our sustenance and having eaten you shall lean on me and we will turn our faces homeward i doubt not that with my help you can attain to some one of the frontier garrisons there is not two days life in me reuben said the other calmly and i will no longer burden you with my useless body when you can scarcely support your own your wounds are deep and your strength is failing fast yet if you hasten onward alone you may be preserved for me there is no hope i will await death here if it must be so i will remain and watch by you said reuben resolutely no my son no rejoined his companion let the wish of a dying man have weight with you give me one grasp of your hand and get you hence think you that my last moments will be eased by the thought that i leave you to die a more lingering death i have loved you like a father reuben and at a time like this i should have something of a father's authority i charge you to be gone that i may die in peace and because you have been a father to me should i therefore leave you to perish and to lie unburied in the wilderness exclaimed the youth no if your end be in truth approaching i will watch by you and receive your parting words i will dig a grave here by the rock in which if my weakness overcome me we may rest together or if heaven gives me strength i will seek my way home in the cities and wherever men dwell replied the other they bury their dead in the earth they hide them from the sight of the living but here where no step may pass perhaps for a hundred years wherefore should i not rest beneath the open sky covered only by the oak leaves when the autumn winds shall strew them and for a moment here is this grey rock on which my dying hand shall carve the name of roger malvin and the traveller in days to come will know that here sleeps a hunter and a warrior tarry not then for a folly like this but hasten away if not for your own sake for hers who will else be desolate <laughs> 
Malvin spoke the last few words in a faltering voice, and their effect upon his companion was strongly visible. They reminded him that there were other and less questionable duties than that of sharing the fate of a man whom his death could not benefit, nor can it be affirmed that no selfish feelings strove to enter Reuben's heart, though the consciousness made him more earnestly resist his companion's entreaties. "'How terrible to wait the slow approach of death in this solitude!' exclaimed he. "'A brave man does not shrink in the battle, and when friends stand round the bed even women may die composedly. But here—I shall not shrink even here, Reuben Bourne,' interrupted Malvin. "'I am a man of no weak heart, and if I were there is a surer support than that of earthly friends.' you are young and life is dear to you your last moments will need comfort far more than mine and when you have laid me in the earth and are alone and night is settling on the forest you will feel all the bitterness of the death that may now be escaped but i will urge no selfish motive to your generous nature leave me for my sake that having said a prayer for your safety i may have space to settle my account undisturbed by worldly sorrows and your daughter how shall i dare to meet her eye exclaimed reuben she will ask the fate of her father whose life i vowed to defend with my own must i tell her that he travelled three days march with me from the field of battle and that then I left him to perish in the wilderness? Were it not better to lie down and die by your side, than to return safe and say this to Dorcas? "'Tell my daughter,' said Roger Malvin, "'that, though yourself sore wounded and weak and weary, you led my tottering footsteps many a mile, and left me only at my earnest entreaty, because I would not have your blood upon my soul. Tell her that through pain and danger you were faithful, and that if your life-blood could have saved me, it would have flowed to its last drop, and tell her that you will be something dearer than a father, and that my blessing is with you both and that my dying eyes can see a long and pleasant path in which you will journey together. As Malvin spoke, he almost raised himself from the ground, and the energy of his concluding words seemed to fill the wild and lonely forest with a vision of happiness. But when he sank exhausted upon his bed of oak leaves, the light which had kindled in Reuben's eye was quenched. He felt as if it were both sin and folly to think of happiness at such a moment. His companion watched his changing countenance, and sought with generous art to wile him to his good. "'Perhaps I deceive myself in regard to the time I have to live,' he resumed. "'It may be that, with speedy assistance, I might recover of my wound.' the foremost fugitives must ere this have carried tidings of our fatal battle to the frontiers and parties will be out to succour those in like condition with ourselves should you meet one of those and guide them hither 
who can tell but that i may sit by my own fireside again a mournful smile strayed across the features of the dying man as he insinuated this unfounded hope which however was not without its effect on reuben no merely selfish motive nor even the desolate condition of dorcas could have induced him to desert his companion at such a moment but his wishes seized on the thought that malvin's life might be preserved and his sanguine nature heightened almost a certainty the remote possibility of procuring human aid surely there is reason weighty reason the hope that friends are not far distant he said half aloud there fled one coward unwounded in the beginning of the fight and most probably he made good speed every true man on the frontier would shoulder his musket at the news and though no party may range as far into the woods as this i shall perhaps encounter them in one day's march counsel me faithfully he added turning to malvin in distrust of his own motives were your situation mine would you desert me while life remained it is now twenty years replied roger malvin sighing however as he secretly acknowledged the wide dissimilarity between the two cases it is now twenty years since i escaped with one dear friend from indian captivity near montreal we journeyed many days through the woods till at length overcome with hunger and weariness my friend lay down and besought me to leave him for he knew that if i remained we both must perish and with but little hope of attaining succour i heaped a pillar of dry leaves beneath his head and hastened on and did you return in time to save him asked reuben hanging on malvin's words as if they were to be prophetic of his own success i did answered the other i came upon the camp of a hunting party before sunset of the same day i guided them to the spot where my comrade was expecting death and he is now a hale and hearty man upon his own farm far within the frontiers while i lie wounded here in the depths of the wilderness this example powerful in affecting reuben's decision was aided unconsciously to himself by the hidden strength of many another motive roger malvin perceived that the victory was nearly won now go my son and heaven prosper you he said turn not back with your friends when you meet them lest your wounds and weariness overcome you but send hitherward two or three that may be spared to search for me and believe me reuben my heart will be lighter with every step you take towards home yet there was perhaps a change both in his countenance and voice as he spoke this for after all it was a ghastly fate to be left expiring in the wilderness reuben born but half convinced that he was acting rightly at length raised himself from the ground and prepared himself for his departure and first though contrary to malvin's wishes he collected a stock of roots and herbs which had been their only food during the last two days this useless supply he placed within reach of the dying man 
for whom also he swept together a bed of dry oak leaves then climbing to the summit of the rock which on one side was rough and broken he bent the oak sapling downward and bound his handkerchief to the topmost branch this precaution was not unnecessary to direct any who might come in search of malvin for every part of the rock except its broad smooth front was concealed at a little distance by the dense undergrowth of the forest the handkerchief had been the bandage of a wound upon reuben's arm and as he bound it to the tree he vowed by the blood that stained it that he would return either to save his companion's life or to lay his body in the grave he then descended and stood with downcast eyes to receive roger malvin's parting words the experience of the latter suggested much and minute advice respecting the youth's journey through the trackless forest upon this subject he spoke with calm earnestness as if he were sending reuben to the battle or the chase while he himself remained secure at home and not as if the human countenance that was about to leave him were the last he would ever behold but his firmness was shaken before he concluded carry my blessing to dorcas and say that my last prayer shall be for her and you bid her to have no hard thoughts because you left me here reuben's heart smote him for that your life would not have weighed with you if its sacrifice could have done me good she will marry you after she has mourned a little while for her father and heaven grant you long and happy days and may your children's children stand round your deathbed and reuben added he as the weakness of mortality made its way at last return when your wounds are healed and your weariness refreshed return to this wild rock and lay my bones in the grave and say a prayer over them an almost superstitious regard arising perhaps from the customs of the indians whose war was with the dead as well as the living was paid by the frontier inhabitants to the rites of sepulture and there are many instances of the sacrifice of life in the attempt to bury those who had fallen by the sword of the wilderness reuben therefore felt the full importance of the promise which he most solemnly made and performed roger malvin's obsequies it was remarkable that the latter speaking his whole heart in his parting words no longer endeavoured to persuade the youth that even the speediest succour might avail to the preservation of his life reuben was internally convinced that he would see malvin's living face no more his generous nature would fain have delayed him at whatever risk till the dying scene were past but the desire of existence and the hope of happiness had strengthened in his heart and he was unable to resist them it is enough said roger malvin having listened to reuben's promise go and god speed you the youth pressed his hand in silence turned and was departing his slow and faltering steps however had borne him but a little way before malvin's voice recalled him reuben reuben said he faintly and reuben returned and knelt down by the dying man 
raise me, and let me lean against the rock, was his last request. My face will be turned towards home, and I shall see you a moment longer as you pass among the trees. Reuben, having made the desired alteration in his companion's posture, again began his solitary pilgrimage. He walked more hastily at first than was consistent with his strength, for a sort of guilty feeling, which sometimes torments men in their most justifiable acts, caused him to seek concealment from Malvin's eyes. But after he had trodden far upon the rustling forest leaves, he crept back, impelled by a wild and painful curiosity, and, sheltered by the earthly roots of an uptorn tree, gazed earnestly at the desolate man. The morning sun was unclouded, and the trees and shrubs imbibed the sweet air of the month of May. Yet there seemed a gloom on nature's face, as if she sympathized with mortal pain and sorrow. Roger Malvin's hands were uplifted in a fervent prayer, some of the words of which stole through the stillness of the woods and entered Reuben's heart, torturing it with an unutterable pang. They were the broken accents of a petition for his own happiness and that of Dorcas, and as the youth listened, conscience, or something in its similitude, pleaded strongly with him to return and lie down again by the rock. He felt how hard was the doom of the kind and generous being whom he had deserted in his extremity. Death would come like the slow approach of a corpse, stealing gradually towards him through the forest, and showing its ghastly and motionless features from behind a nearer and yet a nearer tree. But such must have been Reuben's own fate had he tarried another sunset. And who shall impute blame to him if he shrink from so useless a sacrifice? As he gave a parting look, a breeze waved the little banner upon the sapling oak and reminded Reuben of his vow. Many circumstances combined to retard the wounded traveller in his way to the frontiers. On the second day, the clouds, gathering densely over the sky, precluded the possibility of regulating his course by the position of the sun, and he knew not but that every effort of his almost exhausted strength was removing him farther from the home he sought. His scanty sustenance was supplied by the berries and other spontaneous products of the forest. Herds of deer, it is true, sometimes bounded past him, and partridges frequently whirred up before his footsteps, but his ammunition had been expended in the fight, and he had no means of slaying them. His wounds, irritated by the constant exertion in which lay the only hope of life, wore away his strength, and at intervals confused his reason. But, even in the wanderings of intellect, Reuben's young heart clung strongly to existence, and it was only through absolute incapacity of motion that he at last sank down beneath a tree, compelled there to await death. In this situation he was discovered by a party, who, upon the first intelligence of the fight, had been dispatched to the relief of the survivors they conveyed him to the nearest settlement, which chanced to be that of his own residence. Dorcas, in the simplicity of the olden time, watched by the bedside of her wounded lover, 
and administered all those comforts that are in the sole gift of woman's heart and hand. During several days Reuben's recollection strayed drowsily among the perils and hardships through which he had passed, and he was incapable of returning definite answers to the inquiries with which many were eager to harass him. No authentic particulars of the battle had yet been circulated nor could mothers wives and children tell whether their loved ones were detained by captivity or by the stronger chain of death dorcas nourished her apprehensions in silence till one afternoon when reuben awoke from an unquiet sleep and seemed to recognize her more perfectly than at any previous time she saw that his intellect had become composed and she could no longer restrain her filial anxiety my father reuben she began but the change in her lover's countenance made her pause the youth shrank as if with a bitter pain and the blood gushed vividly into his wan and hollow cheeks his first impulse was to cover his face but apparently with a desperate effort he half raised himself and spoke vehemently defending himself against an imaginary accusation your father was sore wounded in battle dorcas and he bade me not burden myself with him but only to lead him to the lakeside that he might quench his thirst and die but i would not desert the old man in his extremity and though bleeding myself i supported him i gave him half my strength and led him away with me for three days we journeyed on together and your father was sustained beyond my hopes but awaking at sunrise on the fourth day i found him faint and exhausted he was unable to proceed his life had ebbed away fast and-he died exclaimed dorcas faintly reuben felt it impossible to acknowledge that his selfish love of life had hurried him away before his father's fate was decided he spoke not he only bowed his head and between shame and exhaustion sank back and hid his face in the pillow dorcas wept when her fears were thus confirmed but the shock as it had been long anticipated was on that account the less violent you dug a grave for my poor father in the wilderness reuben was the question by which her filial piety manifested itself my hands were weak but i did what i could replied the youth in a smothered tone there stands a noble tombstone above his head and i would to heaven that i slept as soundly as he dorcas perceiving the wildness of his latter words inquired no further at the time but her heart found ease in the thought that roger malvin had not lacked such funeral rites as it was possible to bestow the tale of reuben's courage and fidelity lost nothing when she communicated it to her friends and the poor youth tottering from his sick chamber to breathe the sunny air experienced from every tongue the miserable and humiliating torture of unmerited praise all acknowledged that he might worthily demand the hand of the fair maiden to whose father he had been faithful unto death and as my tale is not of love 
it shall suffice to say that in the space of a few months reuben became the husband of dorcas malvin during the marriage ceremony the bride was covered with blushes but the bridegroom's face was pale there was now in the breast of reuben born an incommunicable thought something which he was to conceal most heedfully from her whom he most loved and trusted he regretted deeply and bitterly the moral cowardice that had restrained his words when he was about to disclose the truth to dorcas but pride the fear of losing her affection the dread of universal scorn forbade him to rectify this falsehood he felt that for leaving roger malvin he deserved no censure his presence the gratuitous sacrifice of his own life would have added only another and a needless agony to the last moments of a dying man but concealment had imparted to a justifiable act much of the secret effect of guilt and reuben while reason told him that he had done right experienced in no small degree the mental horrors which punish the perpetrator of undiscovered crime by a certain association of ideas he at times almost imagined himself a murderer for years also a thought would occasionally recur which though he perceived all its folly and extravagance he had not power to banish from his mind it was a haunting and torturing fancy that his father-in-law was yet sitting at the foot of the rock on the withered forest leaves alive and awaiting his pledged assistance these mental deceptions however came and went nor did he ever mistake them for realities but in the calmest and clearest moods of his mind he was conscious that he had a deep vow unredeemed and that an unburied corpse was calling to him out of the wilderness yet such was the consequence of his prevarication that he could not obey the call it was now too late to require the assistance of roger malvin's friends in performing his long deferred sepulture and superstitious fears of which none were more susceptible than the people of the outward settlements forbade reuben to go alone neither did he know where in the pathless and illimitable forest to seek that smooth and lettered rock at the base of which the body lay his remembrance of every portion of his travel thence was indistinct and the latter part had left no impression upon his mind there was however a continual impulse a voice audible only to himself commanding him to go forth and redeem his vow and he had a strange impression that were he to make the trial he would be led straight to malvin's bones but year after year that summons unheard but felt was disobeyed his one secret thought became like a chain binding down his spirit and like a serpent gnawing into his heart and he was transformed into a sad and downcast yet irritable man in the course of a few years after their marriage changes began to be visible in the external prosperity of reuben and dorcas the only riches of the former had been his stout heart and a strong arm but the latter her father's sole heiress had made her husband master of a farm under older cultivation larger and better stocked than most of the frontier establishments 
Reuben Bourne, however, was a neglectful husbandman, and while the lands of the other settlers became annually more fruitful, his deteriorated in the same proportion. The discouragements to agriculture were greatly lessened by the cessation of Indian war, during which men held the plough in one hand and the musket in the other, and were fortunate if the products of their dangerous labour were not destroyed, either in the field or in the barn, by the savage enemy. But Reuben did not profit by the altered condition of the country, nor can it be denied that his intervals of industrious attention to these affairs were but scantily rewarded with success. The irritability by which he had recently become distinguished was another cause of his declining prosperity, as it occasioned frequent quarrels in his unavoidable intercourse with the neighbouring settlers. The results of these were innumerable lawsuits, for the people of New England, in the earliest stages and wildest circumstances of the country, adopted, whenever attainable, the legal mode of deciding their differences. To be brief, the world did not go well with Reuben Bourne and, though not till many years after his marriage, he was finally a ruined man, with but one remaining expedient against the evil fate that pursued him. He was to throw sunlight into some deep recess of the forest, and seek subsistence from the virgin bosom of the wilderness. The only child of Reuben and Dorcas was a son, now arrived at the age of fifteen years, beautiful in youth, and giving promise of a glorious manhood. He was peculiarly qualified for, and already began to excel in, the wild accomplishments of frontier life. His foot was fleet, his aim true, his apprehension quick, his heart glad and high, and all who anticipated the return of Indian war spoke of Cyrus Bourne as a future leader in the land. The boy was loved by his father with a deep and silent strength, as if whatever was good and happy in his own nature had been transferred to his child, carrying his affections with it. Even Dorcas, though loving and beloved, was far less dear to him, for Reuben's secret thoughts and insulated emotions had gradually made him a selfish man and he could no longer love deeply except where he saw or imagined some reflection or likeness of his own mind. In Cyrus he recognized what he had himself been in other days, and at intervals he seemed to partake of the boy's spirit and to be revived with a fresh and happy life. Reuben was accompanied by his son in the expedition for the purpose of selecting a tract of land and felling and burning the timber, which necessarily preceded the removal of the household goods. Two months of autumn were thus occupied, after which Reuben Bourne and his young hunter returned to spend their lazy winter in the settlement. It was early in the month of May that the little family snapped asunder whatever tendrils of affections had clung to inanimate objects, and bade farewell to the few who, in spite of fortune, called themselves their friends. The sadness of the parting moment had, to each of the pilgrims, its peculiar alleviations. Reuben, a moody man, and misanthropic because unhappy, strode onward with his usual stern brow and downcast eye, 
feeling few regrets and disdaining to acknowledge any dorcas while she wept abundantly over the broken ties by which her simple and affectionate nature had bound itself to everything felt that the inhabitants of her inmost heart moved on with her and that all else would be supplied wherever she might go and the boy dashed one teardrop from his eye and thought of the adventurous pleasures of the untrodden forest ah oh, who in the enthusiasm of a daydream has not wished that he were a wanderer in a world of summer wilderness with one fair and gentle being hanging lightly on his arm in youth his free and exulting step would know no barrier but the rolling ocean or the snow-topped mountains calmer manhood would choose a home where nature had strewn a double wealth in the vale of some transparent stream and when hoary age after long long years of that pure life stole on and found him there it would find him the father of a race the patriarch of a people the founder of a mighty nation yet to be when death like the sweet sleep which we welcome after a day of happiness came over him his far descendants would mourn over the venerated dust enveloped by tradition in mysterious attributes the men of future generations would call him godlike and remote posterity would see him standing dimly glorious far up the valley of a hundred centuries the tangled and gloomy forest through which the personages of my tale were wandering differed widely from the dreamer's land of fantasy yet there was something in their way of life that nature asserted as her own and the gnawing cares which went with them from the world were all that now obstructed their happiness one stout and shaggy steed the bearer of all their wealth did not shrink from the added weight of dorcas although her hardy breeding sustained her during the latter part of each day's journey by her husband's side reuben and his son their muskets on their shoulders and their axes slung behind them kept an unwearied pace each watching with a hunter's eye for the game that supplied their food when hunger bad they halted and prepared their meal on the bank of some unpolluted forest brook which as they knelt down with thirsty lips to drink murmured a sweet unwillingness like a maiden at love's first kiss they slept beneath a hut of branches and awoke at peep of light refreshed for the toils of another day dorcas and the boy went on joyously and even reuben's spirit shone at intervals with an outward gladness but inwardly there was a cold cold sorrow which he compared to the snowdrifts lying deep in the glens and hollows of the rivulets while the leaves were brightly green above cyrus bourne was sufficiently skilled in the travel of the woods to observe that his father did not adhere to the course they had pursued in their expedition of the preceding autumn they were now keeping farther to the north striking out more directly from the settlements and into a region of which savage beasts and savage men were as yet the sole possessors the boy sometimes hinted his opinions upon the subject and reuben listened attentively and once or twice altered the direction of their march in accordance with his son's counsel but having so done he seemed ill at ease 
his quick and wandering glances were sent forward apparently in search of enemies lurking behind the tree-trunks and seeing nothing there he would cast his eyes backwards as if in fear of some pursuer cyrus perceiving that his father gradually resumed the old direction forbore to interfere nor though something began to weigh upon his heart did his adventurous nature permit him to regret the increased length and the mystery of their way on the afternoon of the fifth day they halted and made their simple encampment nearly an hour before sunset the face of the country for the last few miles had been diversified by swells of land resembling huge waves of a petrified sea and in one of the corresponding hollows a wild and romantic spot had the family reared their huts and kindled their fire there is something chilling and yet heart-warming in the thought of these three united by strong bands of love and insulated from all that breathe beside the dark and gloomy pines looked down upon them and as the wind swept through their tops a pitying sound was heard in the forest or did those old trees groan in fear that men were come to lay the axe to their roots at last reuben and his son while dorcas made ready their meal proposed to wander out in search of game of which that day's march had afforded no supply the boy promising not to quit the vicinity of the encampment bounded off with a step as light and elastic as that of a deer he hoped to slay while his father feeling a transient happiness as he gazed after him was about to pursue an opposite direction dorcas in the meanwhile had seated herself near the fire of fallen branches upon the moss-grown and mouldering trunk of a tree uprooted years before her employment diversified by an occasional glance at the pot now beginning to simmer over the blaze was the perusal of a current year's massachusetts almanac which after the exception of the old black-letter bible comprised all the literary wealth of the family none pay a greater regard to arbitrary divisions of time than those who are excluded from society as if the information were of importance that it was now the twelfth of may her husband started the twelfth of may i should remember it well muttered he while many thoughts occasioned a momentary confusion in his mind where am i whither am i wandering where did i leave him dorcas too well accustomed to her husband's wayward moods to note any peculiarity of demeanour now lay aside the almanac and addressed him in that mournful tone which the tender-hearted appropriate to griefs long gold and dead it was near this time of the month eighteen years ago that my poor father left this world for a better he had a kind arm to hold his head and a kind voice to cheer him reuben in his last moments and the thought of the faithful care you took of him has comforted me many a time since oh death would have been awful to a solitary man in a wild place like this pray heaven dorcas said reuben in a broken voice pray heaven that neither of us three dies solitary and lies unburied in this howling wilderness and he hastened away 
leaving her to watch the fire beneath the gloomy pines. Reuben Bourne's rapid pace gradually slackened as the pang, unintentionally inflicted by the words of Dorcas, became less acute. Many strange reflections, however, thronged upon him, and straying onward rather like a sleepwalker than a hunter, it was attributable to no care of his own that his devious course kept him in the vicinity of the encampment. His steps were imperceptibly led almost in a circle, nor did he observe that he was on the verge of a tract of land heavily timbered, but not with pine-trees. The place of the latter was here supplied by oaks and other of the harder woods, and around their roots clustered a dense and bushy undergrowth leaving, however, barren spaces between the trees, thick-strewn with withered leaves. Whenever the rustling of the branches or the creaking of the trunks made a sound, as if the forest were awaking from slumber, Reuben instinctively raised the musket that rested on his arm, and cast a quick, sharp glance on every side. But, convinced by a partial observation that no animal was near, he would again give himself up to his thoughts. He was musing on the savage influence that had led him away from his premeditated course, and so far into the depths of the wilderness. Unable to penetrate to the secret place of his soul where his motives lay hidden, he believed that a supernatural voice had called him onward, and that a supernatural power had obstructed his retreat. He trusted that it was heaven's intent to afford him an opportunity of expiating his sin. He hoped that he might find the bones so long unburied, and that, having laid the earth over them, peace would throw its sunlight into the sepulchre of his heart. From these thoughts he was aroused by a rustling in the forest at some distance from the spot to which he had wandered. Perceiving the motion of some object behind a thick veil of undergrowth, he fired, with the instinct of a hunter and the aim of a practised marksman. A low moan, which told his success, and by which even animals can express their dying agony, was unheeded by Reuben Bourne. What were the recollections now breaking upon him? The thicket into which Reuben had fired was near the summit of a swell of land, and was clustered around the base of a rock, which, in the shape and smoothness of one of its surfaces, was not unlike a gigantic gravestone. As if reflected in a mirror, its likeness was in Reuben's memory. He even recognized the veins, which seemed to form an inscription in forgotten characters. Everything remained the same, except that a thick covert of bushes shrouded the lower part of the rock, and would have hidden Roger Malvin had he still been sitting there. Yet, in the next moment, Reuben's eye was caught by another change that time had effected since he last stood where he was now standing, again behind the earthy roots of the uptorn tree. The sapling to which he had bound the blood-stained symbol of his vow had increased and strengthened into an oak, far indeed from its maturity, but with no mean spread of shadowy branches. There was one singularity observable in this tree which made Reuben tremble. The middle and lower branches were in luxuriant life, and an excess of vegetation had fringed the trunk almost to the ground, 
but a blight had apparently stricken the upper part of the oak, and the very topmost bough was withered, sapless, and utterly dead. Reuben remembered how the little banner had fluttered on that topmost bough when it was green and lively, eighteen years before. Whose guilt had blasted it? Dorcas, after the departure of the two hunters, continued her preparations for their evening repast. Her sylvan table was the moss-covered trunk of a large fallen tree, on the broadest part of which she had spread a snow-white cloth and arranged what were left of the bright pewter vessels that had been her pride in the settlements. It had a strange aspect, that one little spot of homely comfort in the desolate heart of nature. The sunshine yet lingered upon the higher branches of the trees that grew on rising ground, but the shadows of evening had deepened into the hollow where the encampment was made, and the firelight began to redden as it gleamed up the tall trunks of the pines, or hovered on the dense and obscure mass of foliage that circled round the spot. The heart of Dorcas was not sad for she felt that it was better to journey in the wilderness with two whom she loved than to be a lonely woman in a crowd that cared not for her. As she busied herself in arranging seats of mouldering wood, covered with leaves, for Reuben and her son, her voice danced through the gloomy forest in the measure of a song that she had learned in youth. The rude melody, the production of a bard who won no name, was descriptive of a winter evening in a frontier cottage, when, secured from savage inroad by the high-piled snowdrifts, the family rejoiced by their own fireside. The whole song possessed the harmless charm peculiar to unborrowed thought, but four continually recurring lines shone out from the rest like the blaze of the hearth whose joys they celebrated. Into them, working magic with a few simple words, the poet had instilled the very essence of domestic love and household happiness, and they were poetry and picture joined in one. As Dorcas sang, the walls of her forsaken home seemed to encircle her. She no longer saw the gloomy pines, nor heard the wind which still, as she began each verse, sent a heavy breath through the branches and died away in a hollow moan from the burden of the song. She was aroused by the report of a gun in the vicinity of the encampment, and either the sudden sound or the loneliness by the glowing fire caused her to tremble violently. The next moment she laughed in the pride of a mother's heart. "'My beautiful young hunter! My boy has slain a deer!' she exclaimed recollecting that in the direction whence the shot proceeded cyrus had gone to the chase she waited a reasonable time to hear her son's light step bounding over the rustling leaves to tell of his success but he did not immediately appear and she sent her cheerful voice among the trees in search of him cyrus cyrus his coming was still delayed and she determined, as the report had apparently been very near, to seek for him in person. Her assistance also might be necessary in bringing home the venison which she flattered herself he had obtained. She therefore set forward, directing her steps to the long-past sound, and singing as she went, 
in order that the boy might be aware of her approach and run to meet her. From behind the trunk of every tree, and from every hiding-place in the thick foliage of the undergrowth, she hoped to discover the countenance of her son, laughing with a sportive mischief that is born of affection. The sun was now beneath the horizon, and the light that came down among the leaves was sufficiently dim to create many illusions in her expecting fancy. Several times she seemed indistinctly to see his face gazing out from among the leaves, and once she imagined that he stood beckoning to her at the base of a craggy rock. Keeping her eyes on this object, however, it proved to be no more than the trunk of an oak fringed to the very ground with little branches, one of which, thrust out farther than the rest, was shaken by the breeze. Making her way round the foot of the rock, she suddenly found herself close to her husband, who had approached in another direction. Leaning upon the butt of his gun, the muzzle of which rested upon the withered leaves, he was apparently absorbed in the contemplation of some object at his feet. "'How is this, Reuben? Have you slain the deer and fallen asleep over him?' exclaimed Dorcas, laughing cheerfully on her first slight observation of his posture and appearance. He stirred not, neither did he turn his eyes towards her, and a cold, shivering fear, indefinite in its source and object, began to creep into her blood. She now perceived that her husband's face was ghastly pale, and his features were rigid, as if incapable of assuming any other expression than the strong despair which had hardened upon them. He gave not the slightest evidence that he was aware of her approach. "'For the love of heaven, Reuben, speak to me!' cried Dorcas, and the strange sound of her own voice affrighted her even more than the dead silence. Her husband started, stared into her face, drew her to the front of the rock, and pointed with his finger. Oh, there lay the boy, asleep but dreamless, upon the fallen forest leaves. His cheek rested upon his arm, his curled locks were thrown back from his brow, his limbs were slightly relaxed. Had a sudden weariness overcome the youthful hunter? Would his mother's voice arouse him? She knew that it was death. "'This broad rock is the gravestone of your near kindred, Dorcas,' said her husband. "'Your tears will fall at once over your father and your son.' She heard him not. With one wild shriek that seemed to force its way from the sufferer's inmost soul, she sank insensible by the side of her dead boy. At that moment the withered topmost bough of the oak loosened itself in the still air, and fell in soft light fragments upon the rock, upon the leaves, upon Reuben, upon his wife and child, and upon Roger Malvin's bones. Then Reuben's heart was stricken, and the tears gushed out like water from a rock. The vow that the wounded youth had made the blighted man had come to redeem. His sin was expiated, 
the curse was gone from him, and in the hour when he had shed blood dearer to him than his own, a prayer, the first for years, went up to heaven from the lips of Reuben Bourne. End of Roger Malvin's Burial